Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. My name is Ruth Fagan, and today we're studying Tractate Psachim Dafnan Zayin, page 59. Our Daf opens with a Baraita, which builds on the idea that we encountered in yesterday's Daf, that Korban Pesach, the Pesach offering, comes after the Tamid Shobin Harabayim, the afternoon Tamid. According to this Breita, Tamid Kodom Le Pesach, the afternoon Tamid precedes the Pesach offering. Pesach Kodom Le Ketoret, the Korban Pesach preceded the offering of the Ketoret, the incense which was burnt twice a day on the inner altar, and Ketoret Kodemet Le Neirot. The sacrifice of the Ketoret preceded the lighting of Neirot of the Menorah, which were lit in the afternoon Ben Ha'arbaim. Further down this page, the Gemara brings another Breita, which adds two other categories of people that we have not yet encountered in this parak, who are allowed to bring sacrifices after the tamid shall bain harabayim. Both these people deal with the idea of mechusar kipurim, someone who has begun the process of receiving kapara atonement, but who has not yet completed that process, and thus still lacks full kapara, full atonement. In the introduction to this parak yesterday, I mentioned that in order to bring the Korban Pesach and eat it, one cannot be Tameh, impure. Thus, if you were Tameh due to Zav, general omission, or if you were Mitzora, stricken with a type of skin disease which renders you Tameh, you had to complete the process of purification before you were allowed to eat the Korban Pesach. This process of Torah had three stages. After counting seven clean days from the end of the Tum'ah, you would immerse in a Mikvah on the seventh day. Then, as of nightfall, the beginning of the eighth day, you were allowed to eat Kodshe Kalim, for example, Truma, if you were a Kohen or Bat Kohen. But to complete the process of Torah, in order to eat Kodshe Kodashim sacrifices, you need to bring certain post-Tuma sacrifices on that eighth day. Until you bring those sacrifices, you are in the category of Mechusar Kipurim, lacking complete atonement. Once you do bring those sacrifices, you immerse yourself in the mikveh a second time, and then you are allowed to eat from those sacrifices and any other appropriate kodashim. With that in mind, let's turn to the Braita. There's nothing that's withheld until after the afternoon tamid. Ela kitaret, the kitaret as we mentioned. Venei wrote, the light of the menorah. Ufesach, and the Pesach offering. One who is a mechusar kipurim, who has not yet brought his post-tumah sacrifices, and the day is Erev Pesach. Such a person is able to bring those sacrifices even after the afternoon tamid. And then, tovel shenit ve'ochelet pischo la'erev. He immerses a second time and eats the korban Pesach at night. That's the opinion of the Tanakhama. Rabbi Yishmael Beno, Shal Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka Omer, Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka, adds 
yet another category of someone who is allowed to bring his sacrifice after the afternoon tamid. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka, says, Av mechusar kipurim b'sha'ar yamot hashana. Even one who is mechusar kipurim, what is not Erev Pesach, can bring his post-tumah sacrifices after the tamid, then immerse a second time and eat his kodashim at night. Rabbi Yishmael ben Osha, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka, is talking about the case where mechusar kipurim sacrificed an offering, shlamim, that he had voluntarily dedicated to the temple on his eighth day, but had neglected to offer his post-tumah sacrifices before the afternoon tamid. Such a person has an obligation to eat from that shlamim, since there is a mitzvah to say that one is required to eat from one's own sacrifice. As we learned, he won't be able to eat from the shlamim's sacrifice until after he completes his post-tumah sacrifices. Thus, if he didn't offer his post-tumah sacrifices before the tamid, in theory, he will not be able to eat from his shlamim, since he cannot yet eat kod she kodashim. Rabbi Yishmael ben Osho, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baraka says that in such a case, the post-tumah sacrifices can be offered after the tamid, and the person will then immerse a second time and eat his shlamim sacrifice once night has fallen. The Gemara then challenges the idea that the post-tumah sacrifices of the mechusar kipurim can be brought after a tamid, given the fact that having no sacrifices other than the Pesach offering after the tamid is itself a mitzvah, a seh which was proven on the previous staff in a portion of the Gemara that we didn't discuss yesterday. There is no problem for Tanakama, who holds that the Mechusar Kipurim can offer her post-Trumah sacrifices after the Tamid in order to be able to eat the Korban Pesach. Yavo Aseh de Pesach, Sheyesh Bokaret, Vidacheh Aseh de Hashlama, Da'en Bakaret. Eating Korban Pesach is not a regular mitzvah Aseh, According to Bamidbar, chapter 9, verse 13, if one doesn't offer the Korban Pesach in its proper time, then that person shall be cut off from her people. Her punishment is karit. It makes sense to say that for the sake of allowing someone to participate in Korban Pesach, we set aside the non-karit assay that requires you to offer all sacrifices but Korban Pesach before the afternoon tamid, in order to allow that person to fill the karet-based assay of eating Korban Pesach. But the Rabbi Yishma Benosha Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka, my ome, the high assay, me high assay. On the other days of the year, we are not talking about missing out on eating Korban Pesach. Rather, we're talking about not fulfilling the assay to eat from your own shlamim sacrifice. Karet is not attached to the non-performance of this mitzvah. Why, then, should eating from your shlamim sacrifice take precedence over the positive commandment to complete all other offerings before the afternoon tamid? Rav Papa offers a solution. According to Rav Papa, Rabbi Yishmael ben Osha, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka is not saying that the post-duma offerings are actually placed upon the altar and burned after the tamid has been offered. Rather, ma'ala umalina berosho shel mizbeach. The Kohen puts the post-tumah offering up and lets it remain on the top of the altar without actually burning it. The Gemara, in the name of Ravashi, brings a challenge to this idea. Kama delo mekatra emurim, koanim lo matu achle. 
As long as the sacrificial parts, the imurim, have not been burnt, the konim are not able to eat the meat of that sacrifice. And if the konim don't eat the meat that is their portion of the sacrifice, then the owners of the sacrifice don't receive full atonement. Ba'alim lo mit kapre. For we learn in a brighta that since it says in Shmot, chapter 29, verse 33, v'achlu otam asher kupar bahem, the kapara is connected to the eating of the korban. This teaches us that It is only after the Kohanim eat from the sacrifices that their owners receive kapara, atonement. Rapapa answered by saying that since in this case the emurim, the limbs, could not be burned as the tamid had already been offered, those limbs are treated as if they were lost or had become tamay. And in such a case, the Kohanim are allowed to eat their portion of those limbs even though the limbs have not yet been burnt. Therefore, even though the post-tame sacrifice is left on the altar overnight, the Kohanim are nevertheless allowed to eat their portion, and thus the Mechusar Kippurim receives full atonement and is allowed to eat her portion of the voluntary shlamim that she has brought on the eighth day. I'd like to focus for a minute on the very interesting idea that Kama de Kohanim lo achle basar, balim lo mit kapre that as long as the Kohanim haven't eaten the portion of the sacrifice that is due them, the owners don't receive full atonement. It would be easy to understand this statement that until the owners eat their portion of the sacrifice, they do not receive kapara. After all, eating from the korban is the only physical act that the owners, as opposed to the Kohanim, could ever do. Thus, it makes sense that the final action required from a Ba'ala korban, the owner of the korban, might be to participate in the consumption of the korban a consumption that is shared, then, by the altar, by God, and by the person on whose behalf the korban was slaughtered. But owners do not eat from a chatat, a sin offering. Only the koanim do. So why should the fact that the koanim haven't eaten the part that is due them prevent the owners of the sacrifices from receiving full atonement? On the face of things, this is a striking statement. The sacrifice has been properly slaughtered, its blood has been placed on the altar, and in almost all cases, the portions of the animal that are to be burnt on the altar have been burnt. The requirements of the altar, and thus it would appear, the requirements that God receive God's portion of the korban have been fulfilled. What is lacking from the kapara process that is not fulfilled until the koanim eat their portion? This question is a particularly pointed one for me for the following reason. The verse the Gemara uses at its proof text that until the Kohanim eat from the sacrifice reads, This verse does indeed describe Aaron and his sons as the ones who are consuming the sacrifice and does indeed indicate that the atonement is dependent on them consuming the Korban. But in this context, where the Torah is discovering the, discussing the offerings that Aaron and his sons were to bring when they were appointed as Kohanim, Aaron and his sons are the owners of the Korban. And it is as owners of the Korban, not as Kohanim, that their eating is connected to their own kapara. Thus, it appears that Rav Ashi is deliberately wresting the verse from its context in order to support the idea that the owners of the Korban do not receive kapara until the Kohanim consume their portion. So what are we to make of what appears to be a deliberate attempt to tie the kapara of the person who brings the korban with the requirement for the koanim to consume their portion? Perhaps Ravashi is suggesting that of necessity, a chatat, a sin offering, requires the participation not only of God, not only of the baal ha-chatat, the person seeking atonement, but of another outside person as well. 
Atonement for sin requires not only desire on the part of God, but desire on the part of the human as well. But the owners of the chatat need someone or something to stand in their place, just as the sacrificial animal personifies their guilt, their sin. So too, when portions of the animal remain unconsumed, a portion of the sin remains in this world. Thus the Kohanim, by offering the blood in the Amorim on the altar, stand in for God. But by eating their portion of the chatat, they stand in for the owners as well. Full kapara for our sins, this suggests, is not something that we can accomplish alone. No matter how great our desire is for kapara when we bring our sacrifice, it requires the intervention of another human, the kohen, to fully achieve this kapara. If that is the case, this suggests that even in our world, when the temple no longer stands, we cannot fully achieve atonement for our own sins, for our own mistakes, even those that are directed at God and not our fellow humans, if we remain solitary in that process. The process of kapara, atonement, requires that we let other people stand with us to help us make sure that our sin is entirely consumed. Thanks for listening, and I hope you return tomorrow for our discussion of Daf Samech. Sachim 60. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.